Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We're very glad that you all are here. We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by welcoming the people around us here. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is by Barbara Wells. O oh, spinner, weaver of our lives, your loom is love. May we who have gathered here be empowered by that love to weave new patterns of truth and justice into a way of web of life that is strong, beautiful, and everlasting. How do you know what the next right thing to do is? That's one of the things the sermon's about today, and I'm glad to say that this congregation has a guide for deciding what the next right thing is, and that is our mission. And we say it together on Sundays. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Let us now enter together into an attitude of meditation and prayer so that we might speak or listen to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. It is in this still place that we can feel ourselves held in the arms of love, rooted in the great compassion. It is in this place where we can feel ourselves slowed down, where we invite clarity. Let us enter the wise silence together, understanding that in this congregation, small noises from children and the noises of life count as part of the silence.
I worked as a therapist for many years, and I was trained in the Western way of doing counseling where you follow the pain and you explore the feelings and you look for patterns in a person's life and you do the delicate archaeology of brushing aside the present until you can find the origins of the patterns that you're noticing. And sometimes insights help someone figure out why she always picks the same kind of partner or why he always self-sabotages or why she feels trapped in anxiety or why he doesn't ever keep a job for very long. Sometimes insight helps. But I began to notice that it didn't often help a lot. And that I knew why I did certain things, but it didn't help me stop doing them. I just would do them and understand why I was doing them. Or it didn't help me stop not doing the things that I not did. Anyway, it's hard to, to change behavior with insight. People can understand why they drink or uh, why they gamble, but nothing stops drinking like stopping drinking. People tell me all the time, I have a book in me. I know I have a book in me. I just haven't gotten it out yet. And here are the reasons And those are good reasons, but the main reason that they don't have the book is because they didn't sit down and write. I wish it were less simple than that, because it sounds dumb. But a lot of times, uh, we get in a point in our lives when we feel really stuck about something, just stuck. Because what we have to do next just feels like a giant mountain, and the mountain is on fire. And I was, I was fascinated when I found that my loss of faith and insight was shared by this whole school of psychotherapy that had its origins in Japan, um, developed by a doctor named Shomo Morita. It has evolved into a school of thought called constructive living. They say life is like playing ball on running water. So things are always changing and Things keep coming at you, and that's life. And life is not easy, even if you're doing everything right. So you can be doing everything right, and life is still difficult and horrible and gorgeous and disappointing and disheartening and terrifying and wonderful and all of that is happening almost every day. And it's easy to go into overwhelm or just grind to a halt. Morita said there is a limit to the progress that can be made through insight. And he said that um, you can't change reality. By changing your thinking. I want to argue with that, but I'm not going to right now. Um, And he said, all you can change is your actions. And from 
the Buddhist teaching that your actions are all that you can own and that we are all heirs of our own actions. We all live downstream from our actions. It's easy to see how it's natural that a school like this could grow up out of a philosophy like Buddhism, where it's foundational. There's a famous Zen saying which says, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Now, I am not a Buddhist, and I can't pretend to understand what that saying means, but I'll just share with you what it means to me. What I think it means are, um, is that the day-to-day living, that the moment-to-moment living is where character is built, moment-to-moment living is where love is shown, moment-to-moment living, the little things, are where life is built. When I'm officiating at a wedding, I sometimes feel moved to talk about this with the couple because they're standing right there. They can't go anywhere. <laughs> and so I, I might say something like, you know, all the people sitting here with you know that our relationship is built on many small decisions every day. And the small decisions you make, whether to make the tea rather than wait for the other person to make the tea, or whether to frown at the person if they're late to dinner or be okay, or whether to look up first when they come in the room and give them a smile, or whether to forgive first or apologize first. All of those things are small decisions that create a life. And so I think that the small things are way more important than most of us imagined. I think the small things are where the love lives. Now, Morita therapy was created, developed, to deal with um, what was seen as an epidemic in Japan at that time of overwhelming anxiety. There is a word for it, which I cannot pronounce with any authenticity. Um, in the early days of Morita, you would start with seven days of bed rest. No reading, no visits, no TV, bed. You'd have your meals in bed. You could get up to go to the bathroom because they're not crazy. But you stay in bed for seven days. Now, this hits the reset button in a person who feels overwhelmed or possibly could hit the reset button. All of these things might work some of the time. When I had little kids and when I had a husband who did somewhat less than I did with the children, I would fantasize about being unavailable. I would pass a wreck on the highway and see the EMTs put someone on a stretcher. And I would think, oh. (laughs) That looks amazing. (laughs) When you think that looks amazing, you're tired. 
And then I found out that they they cut your clothes off with a big scissors, and you know it's not that restful. <laughs> and that probably a spa would be cheaper too. Um, so, so I would I once in a while would have days when I would tell him, I don't know what you will do uh, if I die. And so we're going to find out. <laughs> Because tomorrow I'm dead. I'm going to be dead all day. And so just do whatever you would do if I were dead. I'll be in the bedroom. I got bored with being dead. I wanted to do, like, go to the movies or something. And when you're dead, you don't get to go to the movies, so that's a disadvantage. So for seven days, you sit in bed or lie in bed and until you're just really wanting just to do something, anything. And for the next week after that, you go out into nature. So you go out into the garden and you don't do any work. You feed the birds. You look at the flowers, you feel the breeze, you feel your body in the garden. You fill your eyes with nature. And the third week, you do a little light physical work. The patio needs sweeping, you sweep it. The car needs washing, you wash it. Mindfully. Which means you try to do it as you would do a tea ceremony with great grace. I have never washed a car with grace before. Usually it happens with cussing and stuff. But this is an ideal. And the idea of this whole thing is to create in you the habit of doing the next thing. Just the habit of doing the next thing. And he says that's one way to manage anxiety. I'm not talking about clinical chemical anxiety. I'm just talking about feelings of anxiety. Do the next thing. Trust your inner voice that tells you what the next right thing to do is. You write one page. Or you just sit yourself down in front of your computer and type, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, for 10 minutes. Or you make a phone call. And now what if it doesn't work? Dr. Marita said that you have to do these actions and detach from results. So you do the action, you don't mind about the results. Um, I learned this, I think I've told you all some about the box of envelopes that I bought uh, to send my writing out in the beginning of my writing career. And I would send things to different publishers and different places. And um, on these envelopes, across the sticky part, was a piece of paper that um, would, when you took it off, it uncovered the sticky part. And it said, detach before mailing. (laughs) And I thought that was so wise. (laughs) It was really good advice. And so I, I put one of those papers up on the wall beside my desk so that I would understand to detach from the outcomes before mailing my piece out to the publisher. You can't control 
anyone but you. And you can't even really control you if you've lived long enough to find that out. You can't, as we would say in Carolina, you can't make people do right. You cannot make your mother stop bailing your little brother out of his financial messes. You cannot make your sister choose the right guy. You cannot keep your best friend from doing that thing she does. And yet, you can try to influence. You say your piece, and then you let it go. And you do the next thing. And maybe it's something as simple as time to eat lunch. So you eat lunch, and then time to wash the lunch dishes. And what if you think something is the next right thing to do, but it's not, it's wrong, and you have done it, and you've made a mistake? Oh, I made a mistake. I found out I made a mistake this week, which I really hate. And I, um, I relearned some things from making this mistake that I already knew but had forgotten, which is good. But even though I've learned and had insights from this mistake, it's still there, and I still have to do whatever the next right thing is to make this mistake, uh, to walk through it. And sometimes you don't know what the next thing is, and you just have to wait until you see what it is. Productive waiting is a good big part of Morita therapy, just being quiet. As my mentor in pastoral counseling used to say, don't just do something, stand there. You have to wait for the water to boil. You have to wait for the glue to dry. Mistakes teach us and educate us and warn us about upcoming embarrassment, frustration, and trouble that might happen if we don't adjust to reality the way it is. The spiritual teacher that I like to read is, her name is Byron Katie, and she says, we suffer when our thoughts argue with reality. So reality is not going to adjust to your feelings, I find. And I have tried. Like in traffic. Traffic is a great teacher, because you sit there and there are all these stupid cars on the road with you, And they've shut down a whole lane of this road that's normally good. And you enjoy watching the fields go by on your way from Pflugerville, but not when the field is your only sight for 30 minutes as you're stopped and late. And the traffic doesn't care if you yell. And the traffic doesn't care if you pound your steering wheel, which I don't do because it would hurt. I don't yell either, of course. (laughs) And no matter what you find to say to the traffic, it's still there. It's still the traffic. And you know everyone in every car is feeling the exact same thing you are. And it's only the little tiny babies who really express it the way you wish you could. Because you see the kids in the cars going, and you think, yeah, buddy solidarity with you. And another great teacher is your computer. I mean, you tell your computer to do something, 
reasonable and it doesn't and so you feel frustrated and you tell it again and push the keys harder it does not care it is not weighted for frustration the keys piano yes computer no And so it's not going to do the thing until you figure out which keys to press to make it do the thing. It has nothing to do with your feelings. So, so many things have nothing to do with your feelings. What are feelings for? Well, they're teachers. They can teach you. This is the situation you're in right now. These are your feelings. Maybe your feelings can help you figure out what the next right thing to do Most of you know the Buddhist story about the uh, student in meditation who just was on fire one day and meditated so very well that he had a vision. And he, he stood up and went over to the teacher and said, Teacher, I just had a vision. And the Buddha appeared to me, and he was all wrapped in gold and shining. And the teacher said, Just keep paying attention to your breath, and it will go away. (laughs) So accept your feelings, do what needs to be done. Of course I'm going to fight with this. Because I'm Unitary Universalist, uh, which means oppositional defiant in the DSM-5. They don't have UU in there, but they might as well. And... So I think, well, what what about the unconscious? What about deep urges? What about magic? What about powerful desire? What about the forces of fate? Mm. So maybe it doesn't work for everything. But one thing I love about Buddhism as uh, the same thing I love about Morita is they just say, just try it and see if it works for you. That's pretty simple, too. One thing they have you do is prepare your obituary. And that is a good spiritual exercise. Lots of people have you do that. That's part of this particular therapy. So you imagine what your obituary will read. And um, sometimes you uh, have a chance to maybe live the life that would enable you to have such an obituary. um, Or change your life so that you would have such an obituary. And in a Unitarian Universalist service, what we do is tell stories about the person. And so just make your life a life where people will have good stories to tell about you. Um, And if you're a control freak, you can just write them out ahead of time and hand them to your friends. (laughs) But if they're Unitarians, they will be disobedient friends. Just tell you that right now. And they want you to write out a list of, that we would in the West call a bucket list. Um, if you uh, have things that you want to do or see before you die, make sure that you know what those are. And I would add, um, just for my own purposes, a list like it, but of things that you're letting go of, things that you're not going to give any more energy to. The idea that I would ever do my own taxes is gone. It's on that list. <laughs> And um, I call it, well, 
it rhymes with bucket list. (laughs) So a fully functioning human being is not someone who's pain-free and blissful all the time. If someone tells you that they feel bliss all the time, I would say look at that with a healthy skepticism because sometimes bliss is just not appropriate to the situation. Know what I mean? They go, oh, you're having trouble going through your divorce. You should get help. Well, no, people have trouble going through a divorce. It's awful. If you feel bliss while you're going through a divorce, there's something wrong with you, in my opinion. Feelings should probably be appropriate to the situation. And then they can show you what the next right thing to do is. For example, if you're one of the people among us who feels horrified by the suffering caused by the actions of our elected officials, in addition to stewing and shaking and eating ice cream and yelling at the TV... Um, what would be the next right thing to do would be to get trained to register voters if you have the time and then to actually register some voters and then actually to... Yes. That's a good thing to do. If you're disheartened by this administration's attitude toward our guests in sanctuary then the next thing to do would be to ask the people in the Sanctuary Network what you could do to help. Or if you have Spanish, to visit with our guest in Sanctuary and let him hear some beautiful Spanish, Um, especially if your Spanish is beautiful, because we've all been practicing, I'll just speak for myself, my very, very bad Spanish. Very, I have about 10 words. Bless his heart, he's heard them over and over again. And you can extrapolate from there. If you're upset, take an action. If it's the wrong action, oh well, learn and take the next one. Y'all can extrapolate from that. Okay. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to. Let the life I lead speak for me. Let the life I lead speak for me. When I'm lying in my grave, And there's nothing left to say, let the life I lead speak for me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.